Warning, this show may contain adult language, content, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, legal advice, financial advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on, nor of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, <laughs> let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Happy Black Friday. And Brian, I think you're going to call it Triple Black Friday. It it is Triple Black Friday. Uh, (laughs) That's the only way I'll look. This is Sex and Science Hour, and there's still Black Friday somewhere, and there's still time to do your holiday shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com if you like our show. Yeah, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And of course, you got Cyber Monday coming up. You know, I mean, it's going to be all weekend pretty much that you can do whatever you want. So if you think about it, please do use that link. It really helps us out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Cyber Monday should be really be called Cyber Sex Monday. That'd right? be, well, we got Triple Black Friday it, and Cyber Sex Monday. Yeah, exactly. What is it? Stuff and Saturday, too? We could. Oh, I don't because they have Small Business Saturday, too, right? It's <laughs> or like then everything there's, has to be a little, have to have a cute little name. Isn't there Bitcoin Black Friday, There's too? Bitcoin Black that's, Friday, That's too. kind of a thing. But, yeah. yeah, you know, I like Cyber Sex Monday. I like this. Everybody on Monday, if you can, have cyber sex with someone or more bunch of bunch of people. Yeah, that would warm my heart just as much as a Christmas present. Let us I know how it went. You don't have to send a log, a chat log or anything, but oh, you know. I guess you could if you wanted to. I mean to, if you I wanted mean. to, yeah, but <laughs> you know. So so Monday, Cyber Sex Monday. I like that. Yep. And we New will tradition. We will be talking a little more about holiday shopping. I don't think I really bought anything today. Oh, I I did buy a little gift for my mom, a tire pressure gauge. I know, very exciting. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah. was pretty much it. But uh you know, Christmas started a little early when allegedly, now I don't know if this happened. There's a lot of fake news out there. There's a, Everybody's talking about fake news nowadays. And of course, the news, most news is fake because. Yeah, you know, it's been fake for decades. Slanted and it has an right. agenda. So, you know, this is no exception. So I don't know the. I don't really know what's fact or fiction because I wasn't watching TV when this happens. I wasn't, I wasn't actually tuned in when this happened. But apparently there's an allegation that CNN aired a half an hour of hardcore porn (laughs) yesterday on Thanksgiving Day, which it was supposed to be a show called Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. (laughs) I'll say it's Parts Unknown. Yeah. (laughs) That's what the independent.co.uk said, too. It said Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown takes on an entirely new meaning. So this is a very bizarre story. Uh, Here's the scoop. CNN denied airing 30 minutes of inappropriate content on Thursday night, which would have been Thanksgiving night when everybody's having dinner with their family, turkey dinner, you know, (laughs) Uh, after initially blaming local cable television provider RCN for the mishap, the network clarified on Friday. So 
Okay, it sounds like they're saying, oh, yeah, this wasn't our fault. It sounds like they went from saying, well, we did it, but this wasn't our fault, to it never happened. So let's see what the real story is. Yeah. The RC, quote, the RCN cable operator in Boston aired inappropriate content for 30 minutes on CNN last night, the network said in their original statement. CNN has asked for an explanation, so they're blaming the local cable channel. Right. Two hours later, CNN took the side of the East Coast cable provider and sent the Independent the following statement. Despite media reports to the contrary, RCN assures us that there was no interruption of CNN's programming in the Boston area last night. So there's conflicting. I mean, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it really fall? If hardcore porn, transgender porn airs on (laughs) CNN for 30 minutes during Thanksgiving dinner, did it really happen and no one was seeing it because they were all eating turkey? Well, here's the thing. So RCN is out of New Jersey. Yes. And they... Like they, their satellites are effectively what pick up, you know, say from Atlanta, mm-hmm. okay, uh, and and what distribute to all of the other cable operators, at least through the, a good chunk of the East Coast, you know, their their version of CNN and a bunch of other channels too, okay. So, so when when they say you know when they want to blame RCN, there's a reason for that. It's not like this just happened on one network, okay. It happened at a centralized node of distribution of CNN on right. the Eastern Seaboard, mm-hmm. and and so that's why a bunch of people saw you know uh, or well on the Eastern Seaboard anyway why they saw uh, well some transsexual porn, some parts unknown, <laughs> at least to many people that's... stuffing their turkeys instead of their. Um, well, who knows what? <laughs> uh, two hours later, CNN took the side of the East Coast cable provider and sent the Independent the following statement. So they they don't know what the fuck is going on. Despite media reports to the contrary, RCN assures us there was no interruption of CNN's programming in the Boston area last night. Viewers were apparently tuning in for a new episode of Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, and the show took on an entirely new meaning when it was replaced with explicit material starring transsexual porn star Riley Quinn. The porn star actually thanked the network for reportedly free airtime. <laughs> and then they actually have a screenshot of it that says, you know, Anthony Bourdain. It's like someone recording this on their TV. Right. Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, 10 p.m. to 11 p.m., uh, Season 7, Episode 4, CNN HD. And it's a shot of a, of a porno. That's Yeah, I mean, obviously on the webpage it's a little pixelated out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose that could be faked, but I mean, it's uh, that's evidence, you know, yeah. <laughs> of some kind. I don't know how credible. Jeff Carlson, Senior VP and General Manager of RCN Boston, also told Variety that the company was researching the incident but saw, quote, no evidence that their CNN feed was compromised in Boston. The allegations began with one viewer publicly complaining about the mishap on Twitter and posting multiple not-safe-for-work images of the on-air pornography online. So there, someone was tweeting out screenshots. <laughs> I can't wait until RCN wakes up tomorrow and realizes that hardcore porn was broadcast on CNN instead of Parts Unknown tonight, user at so like, so like a whatever. rose, <laughs> whatever, on Twitter wrote. Quote, did anyone else with RCN in Boston see the hardcore porn that was broadcast by CNN by mistake? The user asked on Twitter. Well, that's an assumption that it was by mistake. Uh, (laughs) Vague update from RCN on the, quote, on the hashtag Bourdain porn incident. Everything, quote, working perfectly. Can't tell how many households affected. The user only identified as Rose later spoke with BuzzFeed regarding the ordeal. I initially posted, they said, because I wanted to see if anyone else in Boston had been affected, the user explained on Friday. I think it was a broadcasting error that affected only my house. But after the story became widely reported, the user began receiving abusive messages from people accusing her of perpetrating a widely circulated hoax, and she has since made her account private. 
However, she still insists that she did not fabricate her story. I can tell you it's real, she continued. People accused me of faking the story, and creepy men sent me dick pics and sexual messages. On Friday, RCN responded to the complaint on Twitter, asking the user to share their personal information. We have not had any reports of the programming issue you mentioned on CNN in Boston, the company wrote. If you're still having an issue with that channel, please DM us your address so we can troubleshoot when you're home. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) RCN serves nearly 300,000 subscribers in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. So what do you think, Brian? Was this a problem with this person's TV and their, like, crazy or did every did more people get this and just no one was tuned into their tv to corroborate verify or not well i i guess it's it's kind of i don't know how did how does something like this happen uh-huh. i mean yeah that's a good question too did somebody hack it or was it like a is was it like a sabotage by someone well, who worked there someone would have had i think really for in this case it's not like they switched it with programming that somehow shows up on any other kind of cable network right because this is programming that does not show up on any cable network no so really <laughs> usually I, you have to pay for that <laughs> yeah right right i think really it would have if it happened it would have had to have been somebody on the inside it would have had to have been an inside job uh do i believe it would happen absolutely this kind of shit goes on all the time it goes on in movie theaters it goes or used to I was go on thinking in movie of fight theaters. club where brad pitt's character is splicing the porn into the uh, right well back in the days when there was film you could do that yeah Yeah, where uh you would put a dick in there you know and then well whatever um so i mean yeah i I definitely think that this i mean i I can't say for certain that it happened i do think it's totally possible that it happened Uh uh and that it could have only affected rcn and how and how would they deny it like if this actually happened um this is exactly how the network i think and rcn would respond yeah, just right. say, you they, know, oh, it didn't nope, happen. it didn't happen. And if they keep repeating it, maybe people will believe it. Right. Try I mean, to make the Twitter person look crazy. And I know, I know, like, some people will be saying, well, wouldn't more people have seen it? Uh, frankly, no. I mean, why would people be watching CNN on, on Turkey Night? You know, yeah. like, I, I don't think a lot of people would be. Thanksgiving dinner time. Right. So, and especially if it was more localized and it wasn't, say, the entire eastern seaboard. But some other people have come out now that have, that have said, oh, yeah, no, no, it happened and... You know, I mean, I guess you're kind of taking their word for it, but uh, I think yeah, but it's they hilarious. they could be trolls, too. Oh, they could be. Either way, I, I think it's damned hilarious, and this sort of thing, I don't know, a part of me wants it to happen more often, because who cares? You know, if this happens, good. It's like CNN showing people getting blown to bits all the time. It's like, how about we see some sex for once, some actual good news? Yeah, you know? exactly. And it just shows, like, the mainstream media for, you know, they're not perfect, and they're fallible, right. you know, they can make mistakes. So it kind of highlights that they're sort of a joke in many ways, you know? Oh, yeah, they're a joke, all right. <laughs> Especially if so few people were tuned in, you know? Their job is to keep people watching. They didn't do a very good job if only one person saw the... Well, saw this the... would get a lot more people watching. I, yeah. I'd become a fan of CNN if this is what was on. <laughs> the, uh, the Cock News Network. <laughs> I've heard Clinton News Network, but never... It's all the same. <laughs> this is Sex and Science Hour, and this is a special Black Friday edition, sponsored by stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. I like that, sponsored by stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Brought to you by stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still a little slow. You know, we, we actually were really good today. We went to the gym, yep. you know, we, uh, we did a little workout to burn off for Thanksgiving dinner, you know, or, and we didn't really buy anything. No, but, but you know, look, I gotta wonder who actually goes out 
and like gets up at the ass crack of dawn, especially in New England. Like who gets up at the crack of dawn, waits in line at the big box store at Walmart or whatever at 5 a.m. Or who goes out at six o'clock on Thanksgiving night when you're supposed to be eating dinner? Apparently a lot shopping. I mean, apparently it's a lot of people like 20 billion dollars, I think, you know, gets get spent supposedly yeah, that's on, what i on heard this. on the joke news network today yeah, right. or whatever which one, whichever one it was i mean the cock news network yeah the cock news network <laughs> yeah. cocks cock yeah you know uh, <laughs> i heard that that statistic that 20 billion dollars gets spent today on this day of the year black friday and that each person who goes shopping spends between three and four hundred dollars can you believe that no now if they only spent that 20 billion dollars through stuff.saxonsciencehour.com man we would ha- we would be able to bring you bring this show to new heights <laughs> yeah absolutely. we'd be able to send each of you a personal blowjob for christmas and wait wait who's giving it yeah <laughs> well we're, we'll hire people <laughs> oh right, right okay, okay compensate them very yeah. well with our... all right no that, that works that's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway i i don't know i just don't know anyone personally who actually gets up early and goes shopping and waits in line anymore. There were stories, I remember my friends telling me when I was a kid of their families coming, dragging them out at like five o'clock in the morning, going to Macy's and JCPenney and the department stores, and even like camping in tents outside the night before, standing in line. Mm-hmm. And then of course, when the doors open, it just turns into a mob. The, the line completely dis- dissolves, goes away. Dissipates. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just b- bum rushing the door. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a tradition I've never taken part in, so... Not saying I'm better I've been than there, you but if you I, like I shopping. Yeah. But do you want to talk about <laughs> no, your... No, not really. Okay. All right. So why don't we talk about our next stories here that we have for Sex and Science Hour. Um, what is the next story? Oh, okay. Did I even... Op- Boy. Okay. So our next story comes from Lifehacker. And would you believe that if you have a long, unpronounceable name, and of course that's relative, right? Because, you know... Some people can easily pronounce names of their own culture or heritage or whatever, but when it's somebody else's, then forget it. Yeah. If you have a long, difficult to pronounce name, people don't take you seriously. That's kind of hard to believe. Hard to believe. You think it makes you sound smart when you have a funny long name? Sometimes, or I don't know, pro, you know, makes you sound sound prestigious or something. I mean, I, I, like it's it seems like. Well, I, I don't know. What does the story say? I, I... So, okay, here, here we go. From Lifehacker by Melanie Panola, and she doesn't have a very long, hard-to-pronounce name. <laughs> <laughs> Your name could influence how believable people think you are. Now, this is interesting because I thought it was kind of a science study kind of thing. What's in a name? Turns out more than you might think. Just as your last name could influence your decision-making, and they link to another study, how pronounceable your name is to others could affect their view of you. Specifically, one study finds people tend to trust those tend to most trust those with easily pronounced names. That's bad news for Shoba Bhattacharya, but good news for Putali Angami. (laughs) In a series of experiments, neither of those was particularly pronounceable to me. (laughs) In a series of experiments, researchers had participants rate names for things like riskiness or evaluate information, trivia, facts, or falsehoods, like, quote, giraffes are the only mammals that can't jump, from pairs of names, one easily pronounced and the other one more difficult to pronounce. To account for ethnic bias, the names were paired by region. For example, Adrian Bibeshko versus Szesla Ratiniska. 
<laughs> so like both Russian sounding names with yeah. one way more difficult to pronounce. They found that across four experiments, our findings tell a clear story. This is a quote from the study. People with easy names and their claims are evaluated more favorably relative to their difficult counterparts, both for positive and negative evaluations. Easy names were evaluated as more familiar, less risky, and less dangerous. The effect of pronounceability bolsters earlier demonstrations that both things and people with easier to pronounce names are evaluated more positively. Considered together, our findings show that easy names can confer a host of benefits on the people who bear them. So I don't know how this would affect your life. If you've already got a long, hard to pronounce name, maybe you might consider changing it, or maybe you might consider naming your kid something that's easy to pronounce and sounds trustworthy or whatever. Um, But it says in the study, this unconscious bias could affect unfairly affect immigrants in particular. As Scientific American points out, immigrants who Americanize their names have fared better in the job market. It's important for you to be aware of this name bias, especially for situations when you're evaluating people, for example, looking at job applications and deciding between two equally qualified candidates or serving on a jury. See, okay, so I think I think this comes down to like the media industry. Like they have gotten people so used to like the hero's name is uh, I don't know, like Jack Slade or Jack Reacher or, you, you, you know, something. Jack so, Reach around. That's, that, no, yeah, that's right. the porn star's <laughs> name. <laughs> but I mean, like a lot of, and, and actually, I mean, honestly, a lot of stars, I think, have even really changed their names and a lot of uh, musicians and all that. Like Chris Dreck. Right. Yeah. Bobby Dunn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Dirk Diggler. Dirk Diggler. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I think what's happened is, is that, you know, like these really kind of epic sounding names um have you know just they, they they've permeated culture yeah you know and and so so people just just kind of assume that but i i really do kind of take issue with this because i think that if somebody has like a very unique sounding name i think that they're that a, an actual a romanticism gets attached mm-hmm. uh almost a um uh, an exotic like oh martina navratilova right uh, yeah something and I, like i think there's and even with guys i think that there's a total I, I think there's a very positive um and and you could and they're not all like necessarily easy to 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 pronounce like in some ways i think they become a, a lot more memorable so i i don't know how much i i agree i i get that they were looking for like a certain aspect of like trustworthiness based upon information mm-hmm. but i don't think that there's somehow like this grand negative if you have a very strange name. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the only negative I think you run into is, well, how the fuck do you spell that thing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, as a voice actor, I, I often do reads where I'm saying a bunch of people's names. Like, for example, there's a bunch of people speaking at an event and I'm stuck pronouncing all these weird names. Mm-hmm. And I always ask because, you know, and I try to ask the person, like, how do you pronounce your own name? Because right. I don't want to offend them by pronouncing it wrong. If I can, sometimes I'll get them to make a recording. Like, if I'm doing a voice voicemail and i'm saying you've reached the voicemail of brian sovereign i'll have I'll, i would email brian sovereign and say mr sovereign could you send me a mess could you send me you know a, an audio file of yourself saying your name uh-huh. just so i can pronounce it right because you know it can be it can be kind of a dicey subject and you, you want to do right by a person if you don't want somebody mispronouncing your own name so. yeah yeah um so i don't know i guess that's kind of a special situation though i don't know if i trust people less when they have long and hard to pronounce names 
Um, yeah, I, I don't. Now you, but a name, but I agree that at the same time that people can be biased against names. Like, for example, uh-huh. there's countless studies that show if you send an identical job application or CV with a white sounding name and a black sounding name, mm-hmm. even same gender and age and everything, identical resume, the white one gets callbacks and the black one doesn't. Nah, you yeah. know, and that happened. There's tons of studies that show that. So, I mean, yeah, people can be biased against names. At the end of the day, a name kind of is a personal brand, so it's very important. Um, now, you changed your name, Brian. Yes. Right? You have a chosen name. Yes. That's different from the name that you were born with. Yeah. You didn't change your first name, but you kind of have a stage name. Yeah. Brian Sovereign's your stage name. Yeah. I mean, my other, you know, it's it's long and, and ridiculous, and you'd think would fall prey to this sort of thing, uh-huh. but I've never really had, like, I, you, you know... I, I, I have a reputation as a walking encyclopedia, you know, so it's not like, I mean, like people do count on me and I have one of those terrible last names, you know, so, <laughs> so, so that's why I, I feel like there's, there's something off about this. But, but why did you change it? Because just because you wanted to be able to choose it and. Yeah, it didn't have, it's just, I didn't want to like really have that relation anymore. It didn't have anything to do with the fact, I mean, it, it, you know, it's not a terrible last name, but it's not something that I, um. Was just distinctive wanted to, and unique. Enough. Yeah, and I just didn't want to associate it, you know, with it anymore. It was just a personal choice. You know, some people get into that whole thing about your slave name or something like that, right? And I, you know, I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking like that deeply about it. But well, yeah, I mean, and there there can be bias against people who change their names too. I've definitely heard people say, "Oh, when people change their name, it means they're really fucked up, or they had a terrible childhood and they want to escape it, or something." Yeah, I mean, you know, and I can to some degree I could respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe changing your name could represent a different phase of your life, right? Like when somebody gets married and they change their name, that's representing a different phase of their life, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I always loved, there's a great show, a science fiction show from the 90s called Time Tracks. And in that, in the future, when it takes place in the future, it's kind of a time travel show. Uh, they talk about how like a kid at 13 gets to choose their name. And mm. I was always like, oh, that's so cool. You know, because like I wouldn't have chosen Brian, <laughs> like no way. What would you pick if you? What, what oh, would you I, use for your first name? I don't. I don't know what I what I would have gone with back then. I, I probably would have just rolled off something that has to do with James Kirk. But you know, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, there's but, another short, easy to pronounce. Sure, name. sure. But I I think that that's. You know, I, I think that sort of thing should really be possible. I think you should be able to choose your name. And I don't think there should be so much legal rigmarole around doing so either. Uh, you know, because what's in the name? Well, p- potentially, you know, according to this, there might be a lot. So yeah. it's it's important, I think, to be able to have the choice, the option uh, you know, of your name. I agree with you, Brian. I like that. Well, maybe you could buy a new name for yourself on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, which brings names? you this show. <laughs> I'm going there right now. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of potentially racial or ethnic biases, here's an interesting little study here. Now, this is from the Washington Post. So, you know, everything you hear, you take it with a grain of salt. But I thought that was this was kind of interesting. Basically, there was a, a grad student of some kind, sociology grad student, and he wrote a couple of bots on Twitter. Or he made a couple of bots on Twitter. Two of the bots had white sounding names and like a cartoon of a white guy as their profile picture. Mm. Two of the bots had black sounding names and they had like a cartoon of a black guy as their picture, right? And then for one of the white bots and one of the black bots, he bought like a thousand followers. So there was a white bot that was perceived as high followers count and a black bot that was looked like high follower count. And then there was a low follower white bot and a low follower black bot. Okay. And 
he found he searched for people on Twitter who were using racist like slurs in their tweets, mm-hmm. like they were tweeting out n words and stuff like that, right? Sure. And he set the bots to send them PMs that said, "Hey, man, just remember there are real people who are hurt when you harass them with that kind of language." So he sent him kind of a shaming, you know, kind of a like, "Hey, don't do that." He called it a sanction as okay. a, as a direct message. And what he found was that. The white bot that had a lot of followers actually decreased their their use after that. The people who are tweeting racist stuff, after they got the sanctioning message from the white bot with high followers, they actually decreased their use of racial slurs uh-huh. in their tweets just a little bit. Just a little bit. It made a small difference. But then what happened the with the bots, account of the supposed black person? Yeah, that didn't have any effect. And actually, the low follower black bot actually made them increase their use nah. a little bit of their <laughs> racial epithets. So um, that was that was kind of interesting. Like, it depends on the status of the person and the whiteness of the person who's criticizing you for using racist language in your tweets that will make you change your behavior. But really, not that much. It was a pretty minuscule effect on the on the behavior. Well, you know, I feel like that kind of bolsters much of, of what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, this is a this is kind of a problem, in my opinion, is that a lot of online services and social media in general, like, have a real name policy. Mm-hmm. Or they have a, maybe even a close to real name policy, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the ability to call yourself whatever the fuck you want to call yourself, like you can on Twitter, people complain about it because it creates abuse, Right. And it's like, yeah, but at the same time, you know, your ability to choose is far more important, I think, than than it is to have some kind of safety net, you know, in these things. Uh, so, so you know, just the ability to do this research, I think, kind of proves the point that, you know, it's really handy to be able to set up like, an, you know, anonymous accounts and things like this uh, or set up bots, you know, which are just like automated accounts, uh, you, you know, that, that, that do whatever you program them to do. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting, but that's a whole lot more than just some funny sounding last name. Like there's a lot of aspects to this that were yeah. intentional, you know, as far as somebody not being trusted or respected in the same way, you know, say due to their name or something. But, but that is an interesting side, uh, side piece on that. Yeah. Now I feel like, well, you're an interesting side piece person. Hey, hey, hey. But you're not my piece on the side. You're no. my main squeeze. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like um, this reminds me of uh, there's like apps out there that you can install on like your teenager's phone that like if they're about to send a nasty gram and a text message or something or a Facebook message to somebody else, the phone will like scan for certain words that are considered like mean or harassing or bullying. And it will pop up a little message that says, are you sure you want to say this? And then they can hit, Mm. yes, I'm sure or no. And then they can edit their message. Right. And supposedly that decreases online bullying. There's one called like rethink and then there's a few others, but, um, now, how much do those I, I always wonder how much effect do those actually have when it's a bot that's reminding you, you know, when it's look, there's a bot that's kind of censoring your language. I mean, wouldn't it have the opposite effect on some people. And they're just like, yeah, fuck this bot. I want to say what I want. Like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> or or it just wears off. You know, it just gets old and people like just learn to ignore it like many other notifications that they ignore. You know what I mean? Well, you know what I'd love? Speaking of bots, I'd love to see, and not like uh, Tay, Microsoft had that bot Tay that was on Twitter that got all fucked up, but they also made one in China, and it hasn't come to the U.S. yet. I think it was called Xiao Ice or Xiao something like that. Uh, But anyway, like people are falling in love with this chatbot. 
Like they're literally falling in love with it. Now that, I mean, you know, there's problems with that, no doubt. Okay. But I think the, you know, maybe something worthwhile doing is that I think a lot of people are using the social media stuff. I mean, sometimes I do too, where they just want to blow off steam and they know that there's somebody out there that would react to it. And so all they want is really the reaction. I think if you created like just a bunch of like Shawwise bots that would just give that person that reaction and actually don't let what they say go anywhere. Like don't have it go anywhere. Just have it be where they can just like, you know, let off steam and then there could be something kind of reacting. Where they can call the Shao Ice bot like horrible names or where they can say other things about other people and the Shao Ice bot's like, wow, I can't believe you said that. Well, yeah, or- well, anything, anything. But just like give people the platform to where they can just get the shit off their chest <laughs> and, and it doesn't go anywhere. You know, and and then I think you know you'll find out that the online world will be a far more you know, you know peaceful place because right now it's just it's where everybody's doing their fucking catharsis. I mean, it, it, yeah. and, and it's it's really bad, you know, as to where I, I think that if people could just you know sometimes you can do that if you just type it out or that's the basis of catharsis if you just say it. You know, you feel better after the fact if you just get oh, it. Oh, absolutely! Out. Right? Like, have you ever written a letter to somebody who? like you had emotional issues with or something yep. and you you don't send it but you just write it down and then you feel better exactly yeah so create or journaling a yeah create a system that does that and boy i bet you a lot of this like you know harassment and, and all this other shit i bet you'd see some real decrease from that because i don't know how i feel about the whole censoring necessarily of uh, you know what people are saying so yeah yeah definitely i don't think censorship is the answer no, or just never. like bots that sound nannying at all <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah um but it was an interesting study nonetheless so anyway uh speaking of psychological issues sexist men have psychological problems also from the washington post by sarah kaplan now when you read the read the headline for this article i bet a bunch of men are hearing that and be like oh great, another woman calling me sexist and saying that I'm nah. fucked up in the head. No, actually, that's not what this is about. The article is actually very sympathetic towards men. And I'll read, uh, I'll read it to you and let you decide. But um, anyway, just keep an open mind, I ask you, or I request of you. Uh, Psychologist, sorry, <laughs> psychologists. Psychologists. <laughs> from the article, psychologists looking at 10 years of data from nearly 20,000 men found that those who value having power over women and endorse playboy behavior and other traditional notions of masculinity are more likely to suffer from psychological problems and less likely to seek out help. It turns out that the cultural norms that hurt half of society's members aren't good for the other half either. Who would have thunk it? And now this is the idea of toxic masculinity in feminism, where the idea is that, in case you're wondering what toxic masculinity is, it's that there are these masculine norms out there, ideas that culture and society has that in order to be a real man, you have to do this or act like this. For example, you can't cry. You have to, I don't know, um, fuck as many women as you possibly can. Things like that. You have to be Mm -hmm. aggressive. You have to be domineering. Yeah, you can't let a girl beat you in games. Like you always have to win. Those kind of things. And the idea is that they hurt, they don't just hurt women, they actually hurt men as well, because they're like, a lot of them are impossible standards that you can't really live up to. And they don't make you happy if you try. Right? Sure. And they put men in this very one dimensional box, as well as being harmful to women, because, you know, they're the ones who are getting dominated and beat up and stuff like that from these norms, when men embrace them. So anyway, back to the article, the new meta analysis, which was published Monday in the Journal of Counseling Psychology synthesized 78 studies on masculinity and mental health garnered between 2003 and 2013. So these are recent studies, 78 studies, a meta-analysis is a, is a 
study about studies. So it's a it, it summarizes the findings from multiple different studies, and it puts it together to draw a large overarching conclusion about what the research says. The participants ranged in age from 12 to over 65, so wide age range, age range 20,000 men, that's a lot of men, and the vast majority were men. A little more than half of the studies involved predominantly white men, although some focused on African-American or Asian men. Most of the studies didn't ask respondents sexual orientation, but among those that did, most of the participants were straight. Researchers then identified 11 norms considered to be, quote, traditionally masculine. They were desire to win, need for, and Brian, listen to this and tell me how many of these you feel like were, were masculine norms that were expected of you okay. throughout your life. All right. Desire to win, need for emotional control, risk-taking, violence, dominance, sexual promiscuity or playboy behavior, self-reliance, primacy of work, power over women, disdain for homosexuality, and pursuit of status. Um, I would say all of the above. All were, of those were expected. Uh, right. Yeah. However, I would say maybe two or three of those there's nothing wrong with. Like, I, I don't think that <laughs> Which one do you think there's nothing wrong with? Well, sexual promiscuity is fine. Like, uh-huh. or, well, How about playboy behavior? I mean, that, like, what do they mean by sexual promiscuity? Like, that's that's varying degrees. Like, the fact yeah, that you're that's not monogamous. a you know? subjective thing. Yeah. Uh, playboy behavior, I think, seems like to imply that you're lying to women and making them think that right. now, you're that's only not dating okay. them when you're not. Right. Yeah, that's not okay. But I think they're probably referencing non-monogamy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, self-reliance, I think that's a great thing for anybody to to, to aspire to. Yeah, um, well, it, it can be. I mean, if it's if you're expected to do everything yourself and sometimes you need to ask for a little help and that's okay, mm-hmm. but you feel really guilty and ashamed about it, right. then self-reliance could be a negative thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and risk-taking... You know, though, like those, those would probably be the three where I'm like, yeah, those are, those are all right. Right. What kind of risk taking are we talking about? Are we talking about like starting a business or are we talking about injecting heroin with dirty needles that have been passed around the entire room? <laughs> well, I don't know a whole lot of like that. That's not part of the, the, the gender norms. I think that really gets schlepped around. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and alcohol wasn't listed on that list either, which is interesting because I'd add that one, you know, that, that you're going to drink, buddy. Uh, yeah, but alcohol is certainly goes together with violence, dominance, and sure. playboy behavior, and um, power over women, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even risk taking as well. Maybe, yeah, yeah. So that, that, I agree with all of them that those are those are part of the program for for the male gender norm. Yeah, um, I'd say they summed it up pretty well sure, as yeah. far as the masculine gender roles there. And then of course there's more, but those were the eleven that they that jumped out at them that they focused on. Right. So they looked at those eleven norms, and then they looked to see whether they were associated with particular mental health outcomes. So. Do, does following these norms to a T and living them and performing them and embodying them lead you to become happy and well-adjusted and self-aware and uh, a fully functional person who can function in life? So in general, the men who, stru- who stuck more strongly to these norms were more likely to experience problems such as depression, stress, body image issues, substance abuse, and negative social functioning. They were also less likely to turn to counseling to help deal with these problems. The effect was particularly strong for men who emphasized playboy behavior, power over women, and self-reliance. 
Mm. Now, remember what I was saying about self-reliance. It could, it sounds like a virtue, right? But yeah. it could be a bad thing because we all need to ask for help once in a while. You know, we can't be expected to know everything, be everything and do everything with no help, like, and figure it all out completely on our own. But yet, I think that is an expectation sometimes. Men are supposed to have, and people in general, are expected to have all the answers, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and never ask for help. And when, in the reality, sometimes you need to ask for help. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I mean, you know, that's a very extreme form of self-reliance. I mean, I do kind of like the whole Robert Heinlein notion of, you know, specialization is for ants, you know, not for humans. And, and uh, you know, like a, a person should be able to do this, 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 this. Like, I really kind of like that attitude. I recognize it's not for everybody and it's a choice. Yeah, um, and you can also take it to an extreme. Like, well, do you right, want to be make, growing your own cotton and weaving it, your own clothes? And what, then you have no time to do anything else. There's a division of labor for a reason. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so self-reliance can go too far. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's actually interesting and it makes a ton of sense because if you believe that you're supposed to know everything and have all the answers, of course you wouldn't reach out to, like, for example, a therapist, right? That means you're weak and you're a puss right. and you don't, you, yep. know, you don't do that if you're a real man. And then um, the effect was also strong for men who emphasized playboy behavior and power over women. Well, I mean, that could be a blow to your ego when you're trying to be this playboy and it doesn't work out so well for you. Yeah, right? which most of the time today, hopefully it doesn't, but, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes women get pissed when you're trying to play them and it doesn't yeah, work. right right? On. right on. And And also, like, maybe that just doesn't make some people happy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe they would be happier in a committed relationship. Sure, sure. Nothing wrong with that. I don't know. Um, so anyway, lead author Y. Joel Wong of uh, Indiana University, this is back to the article, was not surprised by the results. He said, it's not rocket science. It's something that's been demonstrated over 20 years of research. A growing group of psychologists are interested in studying, quote, toxic masculinity, which we talked about just a minute ago. The idea that some traditional ideas about how men should behave are harmful to men, women, and society overall. The point is not to demonize men. Hey, Men, listen up. <laughs> this is the part where I said keep an open mind. The point is not to demonize men or the attributes that some of them possess. It's more to understand how behaviors encouraged in men can be damaging for everyone involved. And I think that is the point. I'm glad they said that. It's kind of too bad that they had to tread so lightly and just make sure to say, we're not trying to demonize men. You know, like, because so many times it's all about, like, being concerned about how the man feels and mm -hmm. preserving his feelings at all costs. And, oh, I'm not saying you're bad, you know, right? Even though men are supposed to be so strong, they can't take right. criticism, if, criticism if they think you're demonizing them, right? But um, <laughs> they, I like that they said that because that's really that's really the point of all research about gender roles and all, all of our personal research trying to understand gender roles. It's not to demonize anybody. It's just to understand that, hey, we, you know, if we don't question these ideas, we absorb a lot of ideas from society and culture by default when we're growing up. We see them in movies. We see them in how our parents treat each other and how they treat us. We see them in how people interact in society. We see them in laws. We see them in policies everywhere. We just absorb them from culture. And unless we question them, they can actually end up harming us. And some people naturally fit pretty well within those boxes that are um, defined, the boxes of gender roles. Some people just naturally conform to what gender roles expect of them. Some people do not conform very naturally to them at all. And it actually makes them very unhappy to try to conform to them. 
men or women. Sure, yeah. Right? So that's the that's what we're trying to do when we think about gender roles and understand them is just try to become happier by realizing that we don't have to fit ourselves we don't have to squeeze ourselves into that gender box if we don't naturally fit into it. Yeah, you don't <laughs> you know? have to meet expectations. You don't have to meet anyone else's expectations. You can just meet your own and and that's yeah, that's the danger here. That's right. Yeah, and you don't owe anyone anything. No, you know? nothing. <laughs> you don't have to be a good boy or a good girl or a real man or a real woman or whatever if that's not how you, you feel. You should be true to yourself, and even if that goes against culture. So um, anyway, um, Michael Addis, a research psychologist at Clark University in Massachusetts and author of the book Invisible Men, Men's Inner Lives and the Consequences of Silence, told the Smithsonian that wanting to be self-reliant and in control of their emotions might also be what makes men less likely to seek treatment for mental health problems. I think this has been a long time coming, Addis said of the research. He noticed that one of the reasons masculinity's, quote, toxic effects aren't well known might be that few men seek treatment from psychologists, making them harder to study. Not all the traditionally masculine norms that Wong studied were linked to psychological problems. For example, putting work first didn't correlate with either positive or negative mental health outcomes. Perhaps that's a reflection of the fact that investing a lot of emotional energy in work can be fulfilling, even though it taxes relationships. And risk-taking was associated with huge positive and negative mental outcomes, possibly because how you feel after taking a risk depends on whether the risk pays off. But valuing playboy behavior and power over women, aside from being explicitly sexist, was strongly correlated with psychological problems. All right, so that ran right up against the break. But yeah, it ran right into it. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you wanted to say about that last article before we move on to our sex segment? And we have a really good one. It's <laughs> sex during the black plague. Yeah, I, well, I just want to say, I mean... Be, you know, be what you want. I mean, it's okay if some of those things, if you choose, if you really choose, if you want to, like, have some of those attributes or whatever, go for it. That That's all right. But it's like, it's just that you don't have to. And the message is always, you're not a real man. You're not this. You're not that, you know. And it's like, I mean, that, that just, that's so problematic. Who wants anybody to tell them what to do, especially if they're not getting paid by them? You right. Know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's just, it's it's madness. Does it really take a study to tell us that conforming to, like, artificially changing our personalities and behaviors to conform to norms that are enforced by the outside are is, is going to make us unhappy? Like, do we really need a study to figure that out? I think it's pretty obvious, right? Oh, yeah. No, right, right. I mean, and it's funny, too, because, you know, what, what creeps in with this subject is a lot of people will start bringing in science. I can think of a couple books off the top of my head that try to lay out, no, this is how men and women are supposed to be. Oh, gosh. Like, you don't yeah, have there's a choice. There's plenty of those books now, out there. Now, I mean, and the first thing that should, you know, the, the bad science should be known should be recognizable right from the right from the preface right from the back of the book because it'll talk about how they have a certain philosophy and then they judge evolution by that philosophy when look folks philosophy is is a human thing okay <laughs> evolution is not evolution is just science and fact <laughs> and so you know you don't take okay i believe this so then I am going to find the science to to apply to that. Like, right. it's so it's problematic. It's a question of the facts versus your interpretation of the facts, right? Yeah, philosophy shouldn't even be a part of it. Like, it just really should not be a part of it. But that's what these people go into with and, you know, go into these subjects with. And, and then it becomes a huge issue. Like, they're, you know, 
in a lot of ways, evolution just doesn't care. I mean, evolution doesn't care about homosexuality. It uses it, right? The gay uncle, you know, yeah. I mean, like that, that's, a, that's a concept in, you know, in, in, in evolutionary science. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just so maddening. Just be you. Be what you want to, to be. And if you want to go wear dresses, fucking wear a dress. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> or go to a therapist. Yeah, or go to a therapist. therapy. You know? <laughs> if you're unhappy, you know, it doesn't Damn make right. you weak go to talk go to, to a therapist. The, the last line of this article, I just want to finish up real quick before we move on to sex during the Black Death. Wong says that men have changed their, inter- men have changed their interpretation of masculinity throughout history, and they still can. So I think that's a really great direction Absolutely. to go for the future. Absolutely. You can change. You have a choice about who you are. You don't have to conform. Right. So, all right. Sex during the Black Death? You want to talk about that? Oh, yes. All right. Is that even a question? That's silly. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this was sent in by producer History and sex. I can't beat it. (laughs) No one can beat it. Brian is a bit of a history buff for those of you who don't know him very well. Um, Actually, that's kind of an understatement. He's a very big history buff. (laughs) And uh, our producer, MK, sent this article in. It's... it's (laughs) It's from Ranker.com, and the the headline is Orgies, Homosexuality, and Prostitutes, What Sex Was Like During the Black Death by Kellen Perry. That might be the best headline I've ever read. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it definitely <laughs> grabbed my attention. Yeah. <laughs> so have you ever wondered what sex was like during the Black Death? It sounds sick and twisted, but life goes on, as they say, even during an epidemic. People are still people. And even when a ton of people are dying, at least 75 million died during the epidemic. Sex during the Black Plague, another common name for it, was in many ways a lot like sex during the rest of the Middle Ages. But the extreme conditions led to some extreme expressions of sexuality. There were orgies in graveyards. Well, well, let's give a little context. So the Black Plague happened in the 14th century. Like in, in Europe, yep. Yeah, in Europe. You know, Medieval like, Europe, yeah. Yeah, like mid-1340s, 1350s, things like this. Sounds uh, about right. I will trust you on that. Yeah, so... Um, so, so th- this is the time frame we're talking about, where a lot of people think, "Oh, the church is everything," and you know, and, and yes, and, uh, very religious. All these right. serfdom, right? Serfdom, Fe- feudalism. Yeah, and just a lot of a lot of very different. Uh, I don't want to say conservative because that might be a more uh, you know a more modern idea, but very puritanical. I think a lot of people would would yeah. see the you know these days as being very puritanical. But I'm curious what this article is going to say because it may <laughs> not be so damn pur- puritanical. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think people have this sterilized notion of the olden days as they were less sexual than than life is now. But I mean, we got here somehow, right? People were still fucking back then. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, had yeah, to have yeah, been absolutely. fucking, or else there would be no babies, right? So, right. Uh, <laughs> The Black Deaths. Okay, so, oh, did I already read that part? Um, no, no I there didn't were. We got there. Okay, there were orgies in graveyards. <gasps> Let's get to the good stuff. The Black Death was a stressful time to be alive for obvious reasons. One way to cope, according to historian David Harley in The Black Death and the Transformation of the West, which is a book he wrote, was showing quote revulsion towards death and the dead by celebrating life with cemetery orgies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. At, at Avignon Chanfleur Cemetery, for example, things got so bad that a papal official had to threaten the, quote, fornicators and adulterers with excommunication for committing, quote, unseemly acts on the graves. 
prostitutes even took advantage of this celebration of victory, however temporary, temporary over death, to solicit in the cemeteries. It wasn't all fornication. Revelers also dared to dance, fight, throw dice, and play other, quote, unseemly games among the graves as well. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really, I like their spirit, you know, like, that's how people survived in the cold, in the brutal conditions of Europe, like by sticking it to the man and they were just sticking it right to death. They're like, yeah, we're going to dance in this graveyard. Ha ha. Well, you know, <laughs> take this, that Grim Reaper. Right on. And and this is interesting because, you know, something that, I mean, this is what, you know, for the, for medieval times, this was a dystopian future that mm. they were living. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I get so annoyed because dystopian futures are all the, all the rage in, in entertainment today, like the walking dead and some other bullshit, you know, uh, and I get so annoyed because, like, you know, really, if if you were in this dystopian situation, I think this is exactly what people would be doing. Mm. Like, there there wouldn't be, like, it, you know, you'd say your survival instincts would kick in. Well, this is, in some ways, is part of that. I mean, like, you'd want to be getting closer and all this. You and know, celebrating life because you're still alive you're when still everybody alive. else is dying. Yeah. yeah, I think orgies would be happening nonstop. And the fact that The Walking Dead and a bunch of other stuff never, ever show that, I just think it's it shows the crock that these things are as far as like giving you any sense of reality uh, when when what people usually you know love about these sorts of entertainment is oh how visceral they are how you know how, how realistic how how you know primal and everything well they're missing the most important primal part the natural the more natural I would dare say though that's a subjective value I guess uh, uh, you know primal part which is getting it on with, <laughs> with everybody for fuck's sake well that's not all limited sexual activity was advised but obviously they didn't follow that medieval logic at the time said too much sexual activity quote overheated the body and yeah this was like the the status the status of medicine at those times was like you know they had the 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 four humors right bile blood uh what was what were the four humors there was like black bile yellow bile wind and fire or something like that yeah and they thought that they caused disease and they thought that disease was caused by bad humors which is like air that you breathe they didn't know about germs obviously or else well probably they would have figured out how black plague was spread uh, a little bit faster but um, medieval logic said that sexual activity overheated the body according to joseph patrick burns the black death which is a book that he wrote and this allowed quote bad air to enter the body through one's pores increasing the chances of catching the plague heavy breathing during sex might also lead to inhaling too much bad air (laughs) oh the heavy breathing oh yeah that's the problem A German physician, not the bodily fluids, it's the bad air. Uh, A German physician even advised that, quote, all physical exertions and emotions of the mind, including running, jumping, jealousy, and licentiousness, in quotes, should be totally avoided lest you catch the dreaded black death. So don't do anything to excite yourself. (laughs) (laughs) What could one do? Well, they could spend their time, quote, relating tales and stories with good music to delight their hearts. Sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Prostitution was institutionalized. At the death, as the death toll of the plague increased, so did the working conditions of working girls. Now, this is interesting. According to Jeffrey Richards in Sex, Dissidents, and Damnation, Minority Groups in the Middle Ages. That sounds like a good book. I'll have to put that on our reading list. (laughs) Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. They began to enjoy a so-called seller's market due to an all-around labor shortage, leading to a general improvement of their conditions. 
Leah Lydia Otis writes in Prostitution in Medieval Society that as the Black Death waned, there was a quantum leap in the institutionalization of prostitution. Municipally owned brothels were built complete with, quote, royal safeguards. <laughs> so they had they had bouncers working for the king and in the municipal brothel. It sounds it kind of sounds like Nevada, actually, you know, with the state sanction or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. The bunny ranch. Yeah. Uh, Otis does note how sorry. Otis does note, however, that the demand for prostitutes began to wane at that time as well. Well, probably because their customers were dropping dead. Yeah, right. I, I mean, that's, you know, and obviously the prostitutes would be sadly dropping dead uh, you yeah. know, as well to some degree. I mean, right. you know, it, it's crazy because the solution that, that the church came up with at the time, you know, or at least this is the popular narrative for, you know, getting rid of the Black Plague was kill the cats. Right, like which is ironic because it was rats that were spreading everything yeah, and they killing the cats. Made it worse. Yeah, that made it worse. They got rid of you know nature's little uh, <laughs> you know little solution there. Um, so, yeah, I could see that, but it is it is so interesting that well, you know that all this stuff was. I mean, the idea is that everybody would be very pious and oh yes, we're carrying away the dead bodies when and actually people you know were stooping like there was no tomorrow. You know, getting prostitutes or whatever else. In fact, something funny, you know, people were also very conscious about this uh, at the time. And, and and most people missed this. In fact, recently you and I went to Britain and, and I talked to some of our friends about this. Is that, you know, the the place during the midi- during medieval times, the place that most people, you know, got it on was in the church. It wasn't at home. Mm-hmm. It was in the church because it was the only clean pa- place in town. That's right. So, you know, they knew. Like, they, they had an idea about this sort of thing that, you know, there was there was a cleanliness required that, that comes along with sex. So they weren't so stupid about things, I think. <laughs> at least, the, you know, more of your average folk. Sexual immorality was thought to, help, to have helped cause the plague. Uh, and, of course, that's, like, no different than the priests today who are, like, gays brought the hurricanes, Right. Yeah, well, I mean, and and I think, you know, my comment just kind of speaks to this. I mean, I'm interested to hear what it says. But, you know, is that no, actually, really, they knew that cleanliness was an aspect of expressing sexuality. So quite the opposite. I I mean, we have the absolute evidence that, that, that they knew, no, you don't just do this in some dung heap. You know, despite what some, you know, despite what some movies might show Ew. off, uh, they, you know, they were very conscious of the fact that, that you wanted to, you know, get it on in a clean place. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> in Daily Life During the Black Death, which is another uh, book, Joseph Patrick Byrne writes that many lawmakers at the time adopted the Christian belief that sin angered God, who expressed his design wrath, uh, divine, who expressed his divine wrath through plague and secularized it via legislation. Many older moral laws essentially became just plain laws. This meant that sexual immorality was heavily legislated. This, quote, sanitary legislation targeted sodomy and prostitution especially. In Florence, for example, prostitutes were kicked out of the city in the waning years of the Black Death. When the industry reemerged in the decades that followed, they were still forbidden to work on the streets. Brothels, however, were (laughs) (laughs) A-OK. Okay, here's the next thing that I had no idea, but I think it's really cool and amazing. There was a, quote, vital urban subculture of, drumroll, homosexuality. The gays in the cities. Tell me more. Nothing's changed in hundreds of years. Tell me more. (laughs) According to the Encyclopedia of Homosexuality, Volume 2, 
a vital urban subculture of homosexuals existed during the Black Death. It wasn't until the Renaissance that, quote, more detailed records of the life and attitudes of homosexual men and women emerged. And women. And women, yeah. Right on. But this vital subculture, quote, certainly was alive. Although, quote, one catches only the fleeting glimpses of it in the literature. Yeah, so they kind of tried to bury it underground, I suppose. Although, I don't know, if you look at some of the art, you know, the medieval art, Mm -hmm. like they they have books where... The letters, like, you know, you know how, like, in those medieval scrolls and books, like, the first letter of a paragraph will be, like, this artistic drawing of, like, yeah. the letter T. Yeah, there's certain... there's phrases or there's there's terms for those sorts of things, like glorification of the letters and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. right. So some of them are, like, erotic pictures where yes. people are, like, butt-fucking to make the shape of the letter, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but they kind of tried to bury that. <laughs> anyway, um, so where was I? Uh, a few decades prior to the Black Death, King Edward II of England was murdered, quite possibly for being gay, which certainly didn't help the cause. <laughs> Mel Gibson's Braveheart received a lot of criticism for its negative portrayal of Edward, but he may have been actually gay. Yeah, yeah. In that movie, he's definitely shown as such. Wow. The belief that sexual immorality, such as sodomy, helped cause the Black Death surely was another factor in keeping the subculture hidden during the period. Now, that's... That, that's that's fascinating on a lot of levels. Yeah. And in fact, you, you know... That lo- people were still doing it even when there was such a threat of death, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but wonder. There's a part of me, and I know it existed before, but, like, during the Renaissance, there was a huge thing. You had a lot of these different, like, kind of secret societies that, that, that cropped up, like the, the Monks of Medenham, like by Francis Dashwood, you know, and, and some of these other guys, like, that would say, you know, Fayette uh, Cable Dross which is, um, you know, do what thou wilt, you know, and all these different kinds of things. Now, like one of the big claims that the church would make and that society in general would make against these groups is that, and, you know, we're talking 16th, 17th century or, you know, 15th to 17th century, you know, one of the claims would be that they were they were practicing sex magic and all this. Now, part of me almost wants, you know, reading this article, and this is a new thought for me, but reading this article almost makes me think that the popularity of sex magic, quote unquote sex magic, even though they might not have taken it seriously or maybe they did, during the Renaissance came from the fact that the people that survived were, you know, potentially homosexuals, Mm. prostitutes, which were a big part of like, Mm -hmm. say, the Hellfire Club and all these different groups. Um, And, and, you know, wild orgies and all this stuff. And so like to them, like, you know, to the Dashwood and those kinds of types, like I could see them thinking, okay, guess what? This is how we stay alive, folks. This is how we keep a black plague from killing us. (laughs) We need to have some wild fucking times. And I mean, I'm all for it, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) I like, I wonder if that's where the, the, the popularity during the Renaissance of this concept of sex magic, which I think could be fun to role play anyway, but you know, if that's where it came from. So why would they survive? Because they had immunity? Because they were exposed to all these different paths? Pathogens I, from I don't, business? Yeah, I don't know. You know, part of what I think might, and, and this is the, this is all kind of new for me. So I, I'm I'm kind of training consciousness here. Uh, her stream of cons- consciousness, <laughs> train of consequences, <laughs> train of thought, yeah, train of thought, stream of consciousness. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm messing it all up. Choo um, choo, jump but, on board. But what I'm kind of wondering is is because again, we you know, outside of this, all of this information, we have independent you know, uh, uh, reports and autographs of the fact that sex was, you needed to be clean when you were getting it on, mm-hmm. you know, or at least more intelligent people knew, you know, you needed to keep it clean, uh, you know, have a wild time, but, you know, keep it, don't get dirty. And uh, literally. So 
you know, I kind of wonder if the people that were engaging in these wild sexual acts and all that were actually doing because one 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 subculture that survived the Black Plague like with ease was Judaism, was was Jews. Mm. Okay, and that's because of all, you know, Levitical law. It's all kashrut law. You know, they were washing their hands. They were, you know, making sure everything was was cleaned at, at certain temperatures of heat. You know, and all, all, all you know, all Burning these different the dead bodies. Yeah, 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 all these kinds of laws that, that allowed them to survive very, very easily. Or not burning, but I mean, not going near the dead bodies, right? Right, and this is interesting because the Jews were vilified by the church and by other, you know, social groups at the time yeah. during the Black Plague because, wait a minute, why are they still alive? Yeah, you know, like, because they're watching their hands <laughs> well right but but their claim was is because they're the ones that are doing it the mm. fucking jews you know i mean and how many times we've heard that you know throughout history right, and right. and it's nonsense of course so i wonder if you know just just the fact that these people you know combine the fact that they knew that they had to you know had to had to keep themselves clean in order to you know get stooping and have a wild orgy and all that stuff that that's actually what saved their lives inadvertently because they were the only people that were doing what the Jews did they mm-hmm. they you know they they wash up you know <laughs> and they go to places where 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 it was cleaner you know or even I mean even though there was you know orgies in the graveyard or something but maybe they were washing up beforehand because they just knew mm-hmm. uh, so so I mean that that's fascinating that really the only perhaps the only reason that that Europeans or that white people you know made it is because they were, you know, just a bunch of, uh, you know, sex-crazed maniacs, you know, because they weren't conservative, because they were, you know, very liberal in their sexuality for, you know, with homosexuality and everything. That's how they survived. Well, there weren't just gays. They were actually um, kinksters. Yeah, well, <laughs> and are you ready for this? Yeah, this, yeah keep going. This is freaking <laughs> fascinating. Like, I always think of BDSM as like a relatively new thing, but way back then like <laughs> long ago so they had these people called pseudo flagellants performed unusual sex acts in public so-called flagellants during the black death were according to fresh professor mark damon of utah state university quote professional self-torturers who went around whipping themselves for a fee to bring god's favor upon a community hoping to avert the bubonic plague so they were like <laughs> literally whipping boys for rent these were literal whipping boys that people used to buy that people used to buy remission from sin. This is probably before they started offering indulgences, right? Where you could just buy your way out of a sin, right? Well, it would, it would have been part of those, yeah. Right. Yeah. The church, of course, outlawed this behavior. Well, because they're competition for the <laughs> indulgences, but to little effect. There was another group of lesser known, quote, pseudo-flagellants that went from town to town performing, quote, unusual sexual acts in public for a fee. So this is like a BDSM show that they took on the road. <laughs> The church outlawed them as well, but Damon says that they, it did little to hinder their progress. <laughs> I, I, I just think it's, you know, not my, not my thing, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yes. uh, fines for fornication increased. Richard M. Smith writes in Land, Kinship, and Life Cycle that the 70 of fines for fornication, that the severity, I'm sorry, the severity of fines for fornication in England increased, even as severe... Isn't even, oh my God, I it's have late. so it's much late. trouble. It's late. It's late, yeah. Um, even as the severity of other legal fines generally decreased in the middle of the Black Death period, 1349. Smith says it is difficult not to interpret the high fines during this period as punitive. The courts essentially decided to ramp up punishment for sexual immorality in response to the Black Death. Blame the fornicators, basically. Smith does note, however, that attitudes about unseemly acts such as fornication and thus the inclination to increase the fines for such acts may have been changing even before the tragedy of the plague struck. Damn. So 
That is very, very interesting. Thank so, well, you. Yeah, thank you, MK. Yeah, thanks, MK. Enlightening yeah. article. <laughs> I, I just feel like the the thing I take away from that is like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like <laughs> there's so much in there that's so similar to modern life. The ancients were so similar to us. Like I think I I was left with this perspective, like going through you know history class in school, that like these were like such different people. We weren't even really connected to them. We had so little in common with them, but we actually had so much in common with them. You know, sure. in terms of like attitudes, beliefs, practices, culture, society, how things like how people were kind of blaming certain groups for certain societal problems and things like that, and it right. never actually worked. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, this is just fascinating to hear about because, I mean, I, I, I honestly, in many ways, have a whole new theory, you know, that effectively uh, conservatism would literally have killed, you know, it might have killed off much of the human race in the 14th century if people, you know, potentially, I mean, it's just a theory, if, you know, if people weren't living it up, getting it on and all that, uh, you know, there might not be anybody left. <laughs> That's right. So party like your life depends on That's it. Right. That is the lesson that we take away Fuck from for health. the Black Death. Fuck for health. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope your Thanksgiving got stuffed good. <laughs> we hope you had a great time. We're actually coming back with an after show. So stay tuned if you want to hear about all the stuff on Stuffed Up Sex and Science Hour. But if not, we'll see you next week. Sexandsciencehour.com in the meantime. And thanks for tuning in. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. You can connect with us at sexandsciencehour.com. Game over. Play again next week. Oh, I forgot. There's no... No, we There's don't no have music, music in this cue. template. God damn it. Yeah, we're on location <laughs> this week, so we're actually doing the show with an older template that didn't have the after show included. So We were, we're so just, unprepared. Yeah, we were so we were caught flat footed there. Kudos to you though, because I don't even like have I'm not even gonna be able to run off of a template for Sovereign Tech tomorrow. So <laughs> Oh, that's right. This is a problem. We forgot our template. It's like packing our underwear. You know, like you always forget something when you pack for a vacation and it's like, okay, I got my underwear, I got my toothbrush i got my sex lube what i got my bathing suit what could i have possibly forgotten oh yeah the template template. (laughs) so that's the thing we forgot this time so anyway um (laughs) so we got to talk about stuff.sexandsciencehour.com because that is the heartbeat of our show that's what helps us you know fund our show and you know our time is not free so it's it's very good to be able to make a little bit of uh income from the show i mean it's not that much but it helps us in you know it helps send us a market signal that this is worth doing that people appreciate it and that we should continue doing it so if you like the show you want to help us get that message loud and clear that we should continue doing it you are certainly welcome to do your do your holiday shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com if you want to just send us money directly we also accept that you can go to sexandsciencehour.com and there's a bitcoin link as well as a paypal link on the website so we certainly appreciate 
any of your support. If, if you don't have any money to give us, that's totally cool. If you don't want to give us money or you don't have any, that's fine with us. Maybe you would be willing to share the show with a couple of friends and, you know, maybe your friends would be willing to um, help support us or share the show on even further. I mean, there's lots of ways to help us out. We don't require that anybody gives us money. We give away our content for free. So there you go. The uh, Now I've told you all the ways that you can send us market signals to keep on doing the show. Absolutely. Right? Damn right. That's what they get out of it. They get our continued show. (laughs) And us, you know, doing it happily because we know people are listening and appreciating and stuff like that. That's right. We know you appreciate it. Like, we we get your messages of appreciation, too. We get emails of people say they really like the show. We get a lot of people telling us they look forward to it every week. And thank you. We we certainly really appreciate that. But it's also nice to, um, you know, have the ability to get compensated for our time and fund the show and buy stuff that helps us do the show and you know, blah, 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 blah. You don't want to hear about that. You want to hear about what people bought this week at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. The other thing you get out of it is when you participate (laughs) is to be on our after show and have us wildly, probably wrongly speculate (laughs) about what was bought. Now, last week we had a wheel of cheese and something else that was that was kind of insane. I haven't looked at the stuff for this week yet, but it looks like we've got quite a list. So Let's get started on it, Brian, and we'll see what Let's <laughs> we'll see it. what we got. Oh yeah, last week we had that that thing that we couldn't figure out what it was like. Someone was rewiring their garage door or something like that. Um, <laughs> now let's start out. We've got the health and beauty department first. Um, somebody got Nature's Gate Awapui volumizing shampoo and conditioner. Now Awapui, I know about this because I used to use this Awapui shampoo. Is a Hawaiian ginger. And it smells very nice, has a nice fragrance. And it's like very good for your hair. I don't know exactly why, but like something about the Awapui kind of smooths the cuticle of the hair. And it helps volumize thin hair, but also it like detangles and makes it really nice. So Nature's Gate made a Awapui shampoo. I think it might be actually, there are certain plants that like if you're in the woods, like on the show Naked and Afraid, you know, they're stuck out in the woods for a month with no shampoo. So there's certain plants like a yucca root, you can actually like crush the root and make soap out of it. Like it has some kind of saponins in the, in the root itself, where if you mix it with water, it'll, it'll actually make a soapy substance. So um, maybe I, I I sort of have this feeling that a Wapui might be kind of like that, but I'm not exactly sure. All I know is it makes a really good um, hair product. So enjoy that. Um, that looks cool. There was like a shampoo and conditioner set for like 14 bucks. Really not bad. Um, somebody got Speed Stick Musk deodorant. <laughs> now, I have to say that doesn't sound too appealing to me in the fragrance department. But then again, I would almost rather smell BO than like a strong, like scenty deodorant, like an old spice or something like that. I do not like the smell of old spice. I'm, I have made Brian switch deodorants more times than I care to admit. I'm (laughs) on a good one now. Yeah. You, you are on a good one. And what do you use? You use on it deodorant. Yeah. On it. O N N I T. Uh, Now the stuff's a little expensive. Like, so this costs 18 bucks for a six pack. Mm-hmm. Um, it's of, 10 yeah, speed stick. of speed stick. Uh, yeah, the on it, I use the lavender. They also have a cedar fresh, which I haven't, mm-hmm. well, I'll, I'll tell a little bit about that. But anyway, yeah. uh, the lavender one is just great. And I've had lots of people compliment on it saying, wow, that is, you smell so good, you know, and then this sort of thing. Um, but it's $10 a stick. You know, one <laughs> stick is $10. Uh, so, but actually recently it was very nice. And I, I want to actually give on it some credit uh, because 
I bought a couple, you know, they, they run out like this lavender deodorant is so popular. They go out of stock all the time. So I keep checking the site like at least once a week to see if they get some in and then I order a couple bars because I might not be able to get another, you know, I might not be able to get it again. So I did and they got it back in and I was like, all right, I'm just about out right on time. I'm going to order two. I ordered two and they said, and I got it and it was the cedar fresh kind instead of the lavender. I was like, oh, what the fuck? And so I emailed them though. And I was like, look, I just want the two lavender ones. You know, like, I don't want my money back. Just please send me the two lavenders. And they're like, okay, fine. We'll just send you the two lavenders. So I have $40 worth of oh, deodorant <laughs> because they let me keep the cedar fresh. And I haven't tried it yet, uh, but I will try it. And if you don't like it, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll not use it. But, uh, yeah, that was so good. <laughs> so on it's great. Like, they will hook you up um, if you need to. Or if you need to be hooked up and they screw up somehow, they're, they're really wonderful. Yeah, so, that's a go. cool story. I was glad that happened. So you had a good experience, but you can't get on it deodorant through stuff.saxonsciencehour.com, can you? Unfortunately not. You got to go down it for that one. That's right. But it is so good. I, <laughs> but, trust yeah. me, people love it. <laughs> yeah, and we certainly wouldn't begrudge you for buying something outside of stuff.saxonsciencehour. Especially something Especially that good. Especially something that good and something that's not available right. anywhere else. So... Um, Back to the stuff. Um, somebody actually got my favorite sex lube, Wet Platinum. Oh, we use this all the time. Or yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. We use this all the time. Wet Platinum is a silicon-based lube, and it you can get it in a big giant bottle that lasts a really long time. Even now, if you, what? I mean, even if la- you use it, even if you use it a lot, uh, it'll last you a while. Yeah. Well, somehow I got my hands on like five or ten bottles of it. There was like a fire sale on it. Like somebody was, a, it was on sale somewhere. Oh, there was a fire. Bought, bought a bunch of <laughs> yeah. wet platinum, and it's lasted for years. It's you know I'm still working on working through my stash of it. Um, <laughs> what I, I like it because it's just it's incredibly slippery, but it it will never dry out. So it's like it's not water based. And it's not oil-based, so it's not it's compatible with latex condoms. But um, it just doesn't dry out, and you can just keep on slipping and sliding. It makes – how do I say this delicately? It, it makes large objects way easier to fit in small, tight spaces. Yep. And it makes it a lot more fun to slip in there because, you know, it just feels nice and slippery and, and good. Yep, yeah. <laughs> now, the one complaint I have about it – and it doesn't have a taste either. That's the other thing. So you can do oral with it, and it doesn't. It really doesn't taste like anything, really. Yep. Um, it's not oily either. You know, like some people use like actual edible oils, like olive oil and almond coconut oil, oil, coconut oil, which for, is great for oral sex. Those are great lubes, and they taste. I like the taste of those. Some people don't like the taste of them. So if you if you like a lube with like a neutral taste, you might be able to use this. Now the only thing is. I'm kind of torn because I like to use like natural products whenever possible. This stuff is definitely not a natural product. I don't know what the ingredients are, but it is definitely some kind of crazy silicones. Well, and- if it keeps you from having kids, hey, great. <laughs> right. And, well, it's not meant to be used as birth control. Oh, I'm not um, saying it was birth control. I'm just saying if it's unnatural and somehow it causes like... Yeah, but uh, usually it doesn't just do that. It gives you cancer too and oh, things like well, that no, and it fucks things up. Yeah, so don't I don't know that. if I would really recommend like eating it or, or for that matter, the vagina is a very absorbent area. So is the anus and the asshole. And, you know, you absorb a lot through those tissues. 
So do you really want to be absorbing this? I don't know. I don't. I really don't know what it does, if it's really toxic. Now, Paul Joannides, Dr. Paul, is f- very fond of saying that lubes are not approved by the FDA, so they can kind of put anything they want in them. So, you know, you should really try to use like a natural product. And I mean... I just don't know. Are they are there toxic lubes? There was a big scandal a couple of uh, years ago because people were discovering that a lot of sex toys that were sold, uh, with like the jelly toys that were, had the jelly consistency, were actually full of phthalates, which are plasticizing agents that are endocrine disruptors, cancer causing agents. They fuck with pregnant, like if if you're pregnant with a fetus, a boy fetus, it will like mess up their genitalia. Mm. There's a lot of like bad things about phthalates, but they were selling these toys and. As a CYA kind of disclaimer, they would put on the package, oh, for novelty use only, as though it's not a sex toy. Right. So it's like, oh, you're putting this in your body at your own risk, when obviously it's made to be put in your body. So, I mean, that definitely felt like an F you to the consumers, and it was just totally fucked up. Um, Now, I don't know. I don't know how toxic these lubes are. I don't think anyone really knows. I still use it because it feels great, but I sort of maybe sometimes have some reservations about the unnatural kinds of lubes but i could see how it would be a good solution like if you're if you're using a barrier method i don't it doesn't go through like a latex condom so like if you're a guy you're putting on the outside of the condom now it doesn't that doesn't save your female partner from being exposed to it but if you're a female condom and or if you're if you're female and you're wearing a female condom or if you're the receptive partner you're wearing a female condom you could put it on the inside of the condom I don't know. Um, I don't really know how concerned I should be about it or you should be about it, but it's not natural. Let's just put it that way. Um, If you want to go natural, coconut oil, almond oil, olive oil, lots of different oils, avocado oil even. Sure. (laughs) So that's my rant about sex lube. But yeah, somebody bought a bottle of it. It's not cheap, $26.90 for this big bottle, but that'll last you a while and uh, it'll provide hours of entertainment. Oh, the other thing is with silicon-based toys, it's not really compatible. It'll wear them away over time. I mean, I kind of still use it with silicon-based toys. I Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I hope the whispering turns out good in the podcast. Yeah, I hope it does, too. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. All right, let's move on to the book section. You're going to love this, Brian. Woo! So Actually, this is a rare time where we're sitting side by side instead and you of can facing each s- other. You can see the and I can see the list, and I just saw <laughs> the list ahead, and I'm like, holy shit, whoever this is has so much taste. <laughs> like class, phenomenal taste, taste and so much class that I mean I could cry. I do you want, want to read, be. Do your you want friend. to read off the books that somebody got? Okay, well, I mean, we could start off. I yeah, mean, we, start we, off with the first one. Can all right, you see so, it? Yeah, so it's Babylon Five: The Price of Peace. Mm-hmm. This is now. This is actually a collection DC back in the nineties. Of course, Babylon Five is the greatest television show ever made. That's that's just a fact. Like, I think it's it's utter crap when people say art. Is subjective, like the value of art is subjective. That's nonsense. Okay, there there are genuine metrics that you can look at. Okay, and Babylon Five is just the best show ever. In fact, every show you watch today has to thank Babylon Five for its ability to present. Oh, you like story what about arcs? Star Trek. Well, yeah, but see, I mean, Star Trek's great, but Star Trek requires a whole bunch of other shows and and everything, you know, to kind of to come together. And in fact, Star Trek copied Babylon Five. That's another big argument. Is that who copied who? Did Deep Space Nine copy Babylon 5 or did Babylon 5 copy Deep Space Nine? I contend, and I have some degree of evidence to this, that Babylon that, that Deep Space Nine copied Babylon 5. And in fact, there was a book, okay, that, that was that was about the making of Deep Space Nine that came out back in the 90s. 
And the book in it, it made fun of Babylon 5, saying that nobody is going to watch a show that in like in a serialized format to where it's like a novel to where like each episode kind of relates to the other episode and so on. People want episodic television where an episode, one singular hour has beginning, middle and end. Okay. That's what people want. The funny thing is, is get to season five of, of D space nine and suddenly they're doing story arcs, you know, suddenly they're doing more serialized. Uh, and, and so I think it's, and now today, that's what every fucking television show is. Yeah, every television right. show has a story arc now and people expect it. It was, it was considered stupid. Babylon 5 was the very first show to really do that. Um, I mean, maybe Blake 7 and some others kind of pulled it off, but, but really Babylon 5 was, at least in America, was the big one to do it. Uh, so every show you have today has to thank Babylon 5 for trailblazing the idea and making it successful of the story arc on episodic television, you know, on, on, on you know, on weekly television. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so this, this, this is a graphic novel that DC Comics did. It's only, it's like five issues because they did like an 11 issue run or so. And this, this covers, if you love the character of Commander Sinclair, which I love the character of Commander Sinclair, liked him way better than Sheridan, uh, you want to own this. This is just phenomenal. And then there's there's an end chapter that has a, a story about the Psycor, which is a really cool thing. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. Uh, but just want to say, Babylon 5 is amazing, and this is considered canon to the universe. So, you, you know, you want to get in um, on this. Now, I saw the rest of the list here, and that was equally impressive of, of the books. Okay, do okay. you want me to go back to that? Yeah, you can go back to the list, but it's Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. Okay, <laughs> yes. now I, I am a I'm a huge fan of Scooby-Doo, and this is Spook Scooby-Doo Apocalypse books one through seven. Yeah, which brings them right up to current. Okay, because recently DC uh, DC Comics, this is also from DC Comics, just like the Babylon Five comics were. Uh, DC, in my opinion, has always been the better company than Marvel by by leaps and bounds. So, but uh, but DC recently did kind of this regeneration of the Hanna Barbera universe, like the oh, Hanna Barbera I did, cartoons. I had no idea. Yeah, and so, which would include Scooby Doo. Which would include Scooby Doo, and in fact, they also did uh, Future Quest, which is awesome because they have Space Ghost, has uh, my personal favorite, the Herculoids, has um, uh, uh, Johnny Quest, you know, all these, all these, you know, great, great little, you know, Saturday morning cartoons kind of mixed into one universe, and then you have Scooby Apocalypse. Now, the DC's had other Scooby Doo comic books. They had like Scooby Doo Team Up. They've had some of these other ones, and, and you know, they're they're pretty standard fare. They're fine, but Scooby Apocalypse is awesome because it's this it's this dystopian future and i mean like you know they just turn up the badassery of you know the mystery team or the mystery machine you know uh you know fred and and you know and all of them and they just they turn it up to you know to, to 13 it, it's it's awesome you know they, they it's just it has a really really great style the artistry is phenomenal if you're even just a just barely a scooby-doo fan of any kind you want to be reading scooby apocalypse it is it is awesome i also recommend uh, there was a great porn made of Scooby-Doo. What? A, yeah, a few years ago. <laughs> and it is, it, in fact, uh, uh, what's her name? Brie Olson? Who she doesn't, Sounds she was with Charlie Sheen. She doesn't really do porn anymore. This is like one of her last ones. But believe me, this this is just one of the sexiest porns I've ever seen. And it's not, oh my God. It's not too terribly to hardcore either. Yeah, no, it, it's it's great. Especially, I mean, the, like the, the gal, they got to play Velma. Oh, Velma. Uh, <laughs> that's... <laughs> All the other nerd guys out there, you know what I'm talking about, and and nerd gals too. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean when we talk about <laughs> Velma. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, just just fantastic, the Scooby Apocalypse. Now, 
Can can I go to the next one? Absolutely. Oh shit! You do the book. You just take over the book. Well, section. this is amazing. Look at this. Yeah, I know. I look at it. The ego in his own. The case of the individual against authority. Uh, of course, this is what I consider Max to be Sterner. Max Sterner. This is what I consider the best book on anarchism today. Maybe the only one that that might get close to topping it or touching it would be uh, the Hedonist Manifesto uh, by Michel Onfray. Oh. Okay. Uh, out of out of France, but good luck getting a lot of his works translated in English. Anyway, Max Turner, who uh, this the ego in his own is such a phenomenal. It's a tough read. It's a very hard read because because it was written in old timey language. Well, it was written in. I mean, it was originally German, you know, uh-huh. and it got translated. And yeah, like it's just it's rough, and and it's it's not just because it's old timey language, but it like the the the. You know, the, the train of thought that Max Sterner takes you on can be tough to follow. Like, like it, it can be a little hard to, like, really, like, be on board with it, which opens it up to a lot of misinterpretation, you know. Yeah, you were just complaining to me in the grocery store about how people misinterpret it. Yeah, which, I mean, folks, let's talk about that. How awesome is it that I'm in the line at a grocery store and I'm having a conversation with my girlfriend uh, about the, you know, the, the merits of the work of Max Sterner? <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I think it's goddamn amazing. <laughs> now, now, before you explain how it gets misinterpreted, somebody actually asked me at a party uh, like about a month ago. I was talking to a young man, and he said, well, what are some books about anarchism that you like? Yeah. and Or what are some school different schools of thought of anarchism? Mm. And I mentioned Max Stirner and Egoist Anarchism, and he said, well, what is that? Like, what is what's the basic, if you had to boil down Max Stirner into a few points, what would you say? Can you... Do that for me, Brian. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, no. So Max Stirner, I mean, in many ways, it's kind of uh, Nietzschean, you know, as in Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, it is It is in a lot of ways that, you know, the individual is the one and only thing. And in fact, it's called the ineffable. Like you really can't, you really can't, there isn't a great term for the individual. There isn't a great term for you, you know, um, but that you are the most important and you and you alone are the most important. Of course, then also you, the other, you know, another individual is also the most important. Like you're equally all the singular most important thing on the planet. Okay. Uh, and so. But separately, not as a collective. As right. But you're not collective. You're an individual, but you know, you all effectively have the same amount of worth, but like, how do you express that worth? And it comes down to, and this is where people get tripped up. Okay, it comes down to honestly, it's might is right, in a very real sense. Like, I mean, that that's kind of what he describes is that what you can, you know, whatever you can. Like, I have an old saying, which is, you know, uh, what's not tie, what's not nailed down is mine. What I can pry loose is also mine. Okay, and that that in a nutshell for me kind of describes a lot of what Max Sterner talks about. However, however, there's a there's a there's parts that a lot of people stop right there with that with him. And what they miss is what he says about love. And that is, is that he kind of follows sort of the golden rule or the platinum rule, whichever way you want to go with, you know, or like something Hillel the Elder would say. is like that which is detestable to you, do not do to another person. Okay? So if you don't like shooting yourself or if you don't like, you know, if you don't like punching yourself, don't punch somebody else. Is that universally preferable behavior? Eh, Nothing that, (laughs) nothing that, that specious. Yeah, but it's Uh, it's kind (laughs) of the golden rule. Yeah, like I said, or the, or the like platinum you said, rule. right. Yeah, and, and so that's the thing, is that even though one could argue sort of that might is right, it's tempered by love. It, it's like there, there is the fact that, that you don't want this done to yourself, so you're not going to do it to somebody else. Because he talks about like, you know, I don't torture because I feel, I share that feeling with, you know, even though you're individuals, I share that feeling with him. Because, I feel my brother's pain. Yeah, 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 things like this. And, and so people miss that part 
of what Stirner has to say. Now, people might argue, want to argue with how I just went down interpreting it. Uh, the other part that's very interesting is what's called the Union of Egoists. And if you want to learn about that, that I recommend you, you go ahead and hit up Wikipedia or something um, because there's, there's a lot of write-ups on this because it is the way how exactly do individuals work with other individuals. Well, this is how. Uh, but I'll just say in brief, the Union of Egoists isn't any different than some, you know, just some grouping of some kind. It could even be society. But the difference being is that when somebody wants to no longer be a part of it, they need to be able to walk away from it with no penalty. Mm, that you makes know. sense. Yeah. Right. You yeah. should always be able to leave. Yeah, that you can just leave and then the union is broken, you know, and, and it's all over. OK, but that ensures the most amount of freedom when working in a, when an individual is working within a group situation. Uh, but you can read up a lot more on all of that. But I, that that might not be the best job. I mean, because we're talking about a massive book and trying to condense that down. Uh, that's the simplest way that I can I can express it. But you got to understand love is a huge part of of the ego and its own. Like, it's just a massive part. So. You know, these people that, that I mean, because you see it online, you got these people like showing stuff with guys walking around with Sterner holding an AK-47. Sterner wouldn't fucking hold an AK-47 for the life of him. Like, <laughs> I mean, he would have never done anything even remotely like that. Uh, you, you know, that it's just he gets really, really misrepresented and he gets used to like espouse communism and some other things. Or he even gets used to espouse capitalism, which I don't think he would have went for either. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you got to be careful. And it, so, like I say, it's kind of a tough read, but it it is so worth it. And even if you just take some of the things that he talks about away from it, I think you'll get a great value, especially like the union of egoists. Pretty much everybody agrees that that was fucking brilliant hmm. on his part. So it's worth it for that alone. But uh, but there's cool. so much more. So I like okay. it. I talked about that for too long. Let's go. No, you didn't. I thought that was really good, actually, because I think a lot of people are confused about Max Sterner or, or they've just never heard of him. Right. Especially if they're like kind of new to all this. Right. Sure. Sure. I mean, and, and, you know, understand, even if you're, you know, if you're, if you've been in anarchism for a while, Rothbard loved the guy, you know, mm. a lot of what he had to say. Yeah, uh, then how come he never got highlighted by the Mises Institute? Mm. Well, that's because it would uh, deconstruct a lot of their spooks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> spooks, that's something else you're going to learn about when you read that. But anyway, <laughs> so let's see, what else we have here? Uh, the Player of Games, Culture. Okay, I don't know what, what is that this? is. Oh, it's oh, by oh, Ian the one Banks. by Ian and Banks. Okay, I thought maybe it was a video game book. Um, yeah, okay, this is fantastic. The Culture series is, uh, I talked about this recently, so you I don't did, need to go yeah. into it again. But just to say, the Culture series is the only mainstream, explicitly anarchist science fiction uh, uh, saga out there. Um, I mean, it is just, it is the only one and every, every single book in it is worth reading. Uh, did I you talk it. about this on your top eight sci-fi books? I did bring it up there, but I know someone else bought another, um, another culture, another series, culture book, series book, which may or may not have been the same person. We can't tell who bought yeah, what. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we just but get a Jesus, list of what was purchased. Th- this is a greatest hits. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. everything that, the, where, if somebody, if the same person bought if this all is books, all the same yeah. person, you're amazing. <laughs> And let us know who you are. Woohoo. <laughs> We've got The Quantum Thief by Jean Le Flambeau. Okay, Ooh. I don't know this one. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. The Quantum Thief, Jean Le Flambeau, by Hanu Rajanilemi. I'm going to have to check this one out. This is one I don't know. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll read the summary. Jean Le Flambeau gets up in the morning and has to kill himself before his other self can kill him first. <laughs> Just another day in the Dilemma prison. Rescued by the mysterious Miele in her flirtatious, flirtatious spacecraft, Jean is taken to the Wabalette, the moving city of Mars. 
Where time is a currency, memories are treasures, and a moon-turned singularity lights the night. Meanwhile, investigator Isidore Betrelet, called in to investigate the murder of a chocolatier, finds himself on the tour, trail of an arch-criminal, a man lame, named Le Flambeau. <laughs> Too much French. Too I love much it. French. So finally in the book section we got... Another winner. Another classic. Yeah. Nathaniel Brandon, Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Phenomenal. Just yeah. phenomenal work. This is a great book. Um, so, you know, self-esteem, the whole... It became kind of a buzzword in the 90s, but... Nathaniel Brandon was, you know, of course, the far, former partner of Ayn Rand, um, really pio- was a psychologist and really pioneered um, just the f- self-esteem as a field in psychology, yeah. like just the concept of defining what self-esteem is. Um, now, let me see if we can get a list of what the se- six pillar- pillars of self-esteem are. Um, I mean, I could probably list them if I was thinking about it, but I'm not. Yeah, same here. Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. Live con- Living consciously. Living fully in the present moment, um, you know, for most, this takes a lot of practice, definitely. Accepting yourself, self-acceptance. Yes, you have flaws and good qualities. You also have the opportunity to choose to change who you are and highlight the good and work on the bad and stuff like that. Um, but you have to accept who you, where you are. Um, taking responsibility. So taking responsibility for your actions, for your experience, owning your feelings, that kind of stuff. Um, Assert self-assertion, so like, you know, being true to yourself, essentially, even when it's challenging. Living purposefully, so living on purpose and with a purpose, right? Uh, Finding purpose in life. And then maintaining integrity, living with integrity. So doing what you say, sticking to your principles, being true to yourself again. So those are what make up the foundation of self-esteem. And... Yeah, it's it's a lot more in depth than that, obviously, but it's a great book to read if you, I guess if you, I don't know, if maybe if like you don't really know what you stand for, you don't know what you want to do, um, it's a great book to help you get a little bit of more of a firm foundation and a sense of self and to really value yourself. It's therapeutic. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I read it, it was super therapeutic. I mean, just, just a, yeah, it, it really does help you, you know, understand who you are, why you have value. Um, what your value is. I mean, it's it's just wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I mean, in fact, that, that boy, what a great matchup. I mean, I'm sure Sterner might might have called Nathaniel Brandon a spook, but you know, <laughs> the ego in its own, and then say if, you, if this was the same person, if you're reading that, oh, yeah, and yeah. then you're reading the Six Pillars of Self Esteem, I think that actually that would be a great a great combination because then you'd understand what love is, and including self love, mm. which would help you understand a lot of what Sterner brings to the table. So mm. I think that's that's an awesome combination. If the person ended was the you know bought the same, or you know both bought both of those. Anyway, yeah. Oh, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, that's a cool. That's a cool idea. Um, okay, in the computer section, we've got a. Uh, 10 port uh desktop charger so like you can plug 10 electronic devices like phones nice. in there nice. it's like a family sized one and it was only 32.99 price point worth it that's pretty good yeah it sounds like it sounds like i can probably think of 10 devices i would want to charge at once yep. <laughs> <laughs> um in the clothing section we had a men's 35 millimeter braided elastic belt so this is one of those belts that's just kind of woven and it's from dockers and so you know very classic kind of black uh, belt. Yeah, very of, nice. Yeah, you know, just kind of polyester kind of thing with a metal buckle. Looks nice. Uh, heavy fleece, men's heavy fleece sweatpants with cargo pockets by nice. North 15. Yes, those look super comfy. 
black, just all the right color. Either. I would totally wear those. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the the person looks like they got navy, but they do come in black. Oh, oh they got navy. They come oh. in black and black black. Close enough. Triple black. Do they they come in <laughs> single black, double black, but do they come in triple black? That's the real question. That's right. Um, <laughs> in the computer department, we had somebody get not only a mouse pad, but a wireless mouse. And my wireless mouse review, uh, not my wireless mouse, my... um. My noiseless mouse review post on my voiceover blog continues to be a very popular post where people a lot of times buy stuff from it. Yeah. Um, so good. That's good. <laughs> Somebody got a very stylish mouse pad that oh, really I like looks the look like of that. wallpaper. It's black and it's got like floor de lis like kind of embossed in like a glowy black. It's very interesting. Very nice. Yep. Looks looks really nice. Um, and then somebody got the uh, what my my favorite noiseless mouse, which is the um, JNL 101K. Uh, and it's actually not wireless. It's wired, but it is noiseless. $20 price point. Totally not bad. Totally worth it if you're any kind of voice. If you do a podcast, voice acting, anything like that, you don't want to hear those mouse clicks. So definitely get invest in a noiseless mouse. And then we had a uh, 32 gigabyte memory card. Nice. Yep. Um, so that's it for the computers department. I'm sure people will be buying lots of computer stuff for their... Uh, their holiday shopping <laughs> this is tis the season when people buy stuff right yes <laughs> their festivist shopping um somebody got a fire tv stick with alexa voice remote st- streaming media player what is this brian it's 30 dollars, but i feel like it connects to your tv and everything else yeah it's just like it's like a lot of these different devices like roku and and android tv but what do they do and what they do is is they they connect they can turn a dumb television into a very smart television uh, so, like, you can put apps onto these, and then, you know, you could watch Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Video. Uh, some of them, like, allow you to play video games. And, in fact, I think this is a big play that, that Amazon's going with, because these are very popular. Uh, okay, the, so without an HDMI connection? No, you need an HDMI Oh, connection. okay, got yeah. it. Yeah, and, and so they, they plug into the TV, and then they pretty much give your TV an entire user interface and a lot of different apps oh, that they can use. that's cool. And, uh, yeah, no, they're they're pretty nice. It's only 30 bucks. How did that? How does that work? Well, I mean, they sell it at a, at a you know, really, really low price point, but, or, I mean, you know, at, at a, kind of at a loss. But also, it's Black Friday, so I think that price might be lower. Oh, it might be a Black yeah. Friday deal. Ooh. Oh. But are they doing it because they want like to subsidize it because they want people using that technology because they want to show them ads and stuff? Yeah, I mean, part of it is to get people into Amazon Video. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, That's I mean, right. which is a Netflix competitor, even though it can run Netflix as well. Um, there's that. I mean, I, the other, it's it's just to get more people into the Amazon ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever company comes out with that, it's to get them into their ecosystem and get them hooked. Mm. In the uh, supplements department, we had uh, somebody got evening primrose oil. Now, people say that this is an anti-inflammatory thing, that it has um, basically these essential fatty acids. And people say it's like anti-inflammatory. Some people claim it helps like various autoimmune diseases or just lowering inflammation. It's like often, you know, uh, promoted for women as Mm -hmm. well. Like some women say it really helps them. Some people say it helps with hot flashes, like all these other things. So I don't know what they're using it for, but people use it for a lot of stuff. Definitely is a good idea to get essential fatty acids because there's some nutrients that your body just can't make. You have to get them from food. And we normally don't eat evening primroses, but (laughs) they can provide a source of those nutrients, I guess. Um, So we got rainbow light 
Now, you've heard of Rainbow Bright, but this is Rainbow Light. <laughs> I love Rainbow Bright. Organic multivitamins. I didn't know multivitamins could be made with organic ingredients, but I guess this one does. It's made with organic fruits and vegetables. And it, let's see, is it a powder or a pill? It, it's probably one of those powdered ones that you have to mix with orange juice and stuff like that. That looks cool. I mean, I like those powdered multivitamins because mm-hmm. you you do have to dissolve them in juice or, or water and they taste disgusting. But, you know, there's been studies where people swallow pills and in some cases it just goes right through and they just poop it out and they don't absorb any of it. So, <laughs> you know, like how, what are they really paying for there, right? Yeah. But with a powder, you would you would be more likely to actually absorb it. Somebody got condoms. Mm-hmm. I wonder. If, <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brian's telling you what brand they got. <laughs> they got a, a 36 count value pack. Woohoo. Of Tro- Trojan N's lubricated condoms classic design with a reservoir tip that's right contain a silky smooth premium lubricant for comfort and safety contraception plus sti protection all right good job now i wonder um oh my god in the (laughs) so i bet the reviews for these are really funny (laughs) and i just scrolled down to find some of the funny ones and they have the q a section on amazon first question why is it called trojan didn't they penetrate the gate gate break the trojan and a bunch of men come out <laughs> answer handbook on how to troll condom reviews <laughs> no because you have lots of men inside at once <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Uh, review top customer reviews five stars great these are great regular old condoms nothing special my girlfriend is not pregnant so that's always a plus go team <laughs> 36 out of 36 worked Wanted to write a review after I used them all, and also after that time of the month. 36 out of 36 of these condoms did not lead to pregnancy. That is a 100% efficiency rate. I would recommend this to a friend, family member, or even religious leaders. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. We should some, Sometime we should bust out the um, Haribo sugar-free gummy bears reviews on the show. Because oh, those boy. just, I cannot le- read those or, without breaking down into stitches laughing so hard. Or the classic Bic for her pen. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, that they tried to make a pink pen and people yeah, like, women and, trolled them. It was so funny. And if you're a fan of here's, – here's one of my favorites. If you're a fan of the band Dragon Force, um, they, if you read the reviews for their albums, they're just hilarious. So anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, so somebody bought a six-pack of – a variety pack of different incense sticks. Huh. So they have the Nog Champa, they have the Celestial Incense, Patchouli Forest, Sunrise, and Sandalwood. Is it Champa or Champa? I think it's Champa because it's, it's Indian, Hampa. not Jewish. Oh. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, you know, incense can be cool. On the other hand, you kind of need good ventilation because it does kind of smoke and it kind of like, you know, can make me sneeze a little bit sometimes. But it makes stuff smell nice i would say holy crap how much more stuff we got not very much just like 10 like five or 10 items i don't know we we can speed it up here um okay speaking of pens yeah speaking of pens the pilot g2 retractable premium gel ink roller that's right so oh those are nice pens so these are the kind of pen you click it the tip comes out and it's a gel tip and so they're very, like, smooth writing kind of pens. Yeah, they never yeah. had those interruptions, you know, with the regular ink pens. I love pens. And it was 10. Yeah, me too. But I don't use them very often. Do you? 
When's the yeah. last time you use a pen? Oh, uh, you write stuff down all the time. Uh, yeah, That's I write great. stuff down all the time. Do you use gel pe- gel pens? We should get some of these. Generally, I'm no. Add uh, them to my cart right yeah, now. Yeah, I use the Zebra <laughs> F, uh, the F series, like either you know the 701 or, or something like that. But anyway, right, right on. Yeah, so, very nice. So this was a dozen for 10.42. So it's almost a buck a pen. A little bit pricey for a pen, but I would say worth it. Yeah, <laughs> worth every penny. Uh, litter genie refill so somebody has a cat cat litter or an old person what does the litter genie do i'm looking at this box um i guess it's like an easier way to change your cat litter oh i see how it is it's kind of like you put a bag on you put like a trash bag underneath the litter in the litter box then you put the litter on top of it and then all you have to do is just lift out the bag and it gets rid of the litter well that's handy yeah that that looks like a good handy product 35 bucks for the litter genie refill Nice. Wonder how much the litter genie itself. Oh my god. So a few weeks ago somebody bought this and it looks like somebody else got one too. The slopper stopper, dripless water bowl for dogs and cats. Yeah. So this is like they have to stick their tongue in this hole to get the water and then the wa- like the excess water kind of runs back into the bowl instead of like all over the place. It's st- a dripless water bowl. I still think this and the litter cleanup thing could just be for geriatrics. Like, I don't like think... for humans yeah, that are I... crawling around on the floor, <laughs> shitting and drinking water out of a bowl. Could be. I mean, it could could be. I'm not going to. Who am I to question that, really? <laughs> we got another favorite item, which could be used for like pinching nipples or butts, or it could be used for nabbing pieces of trash. Oh, <laughs> you know, those little things where you, it's like a pole and it like you click the little thing and it grabs like a little claw. It picks something up. Yeah, no, these, like, extendable arms. These are fantastic. Yeah, extendable arms, or you can grab something on a high shelf. It's called the uh, Nifty Nabber, 36-inch Unger Professional Nifty Nabber, and it's the top seller in the Nabbers category. What are you doing thinking about grabbing nipples and butts with that? I mean, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw that. (laughs) Wow, I'm glad we don't own one. That's what I would do. (laughs) I would grab a nipple, and then I would grab a butt, and then I might pick up a piece of trash. But you got to do that before you pick up the trash, because you're going to contaminate it. Okay. Right? This is the way my mind yes. works. Uh, <laughs> somebody got a uh, a pool and spa pump, so it was like Ooh. a replacement pump. Oh, which means which means they have a pool or a spa. And yes, yes please, uh, we're accepting invitations. You can invite us over. Uh, <laughs> you know, I really want a hot tub. Eventually, if we get up to enough Amazon credit on sec- from Sex and Science Hour, we might be able to buy a hot tub on Amazon and the install dreams it. Could come true. Oh. Uh, girl can always dream i just love a hot tub like if i had one at home i would probably go in it like every day every day and our electric bill would end up being more than 12 dollars. well oh my god (laughs) yeah i'm not gonna jinx it but yeah that's a story for another time yeah Uh, (laughs) we have uh the easy flow adjustable plastic towel bar so this is like uh bar for towels yeah it doesn't look super exciting four bucks four (laughs) dollars listen to this price point is four dollars shipping is thirteen dollars i hope they got it while it was on prime like three times as much yeah (laughs) for the shipping um somebody got a power strip so this is like it's got like oh it looks like 12 port power things where you can plug stuff in usb ports it's great and usb ports yeah 35 bucks for that very nice you get a lot more bang for your buck when it comes to those those multiple plugs nowadays don't you think um oh i used to have one of these a tri-wing screwdriver tool now what is a tri-wing can you explain it to me so tri-wing it is the the design of the screw head yes and nintendo uses a on their all of their consoles handhelds everything 
uses a specific. It looks like a tr- more like a triangle, mm-hmm. or like kind of like in the old uh, in old track or not tra- in old mobile homes or trailers, they would have like that square head. This is a triangle head, and so to take one apart, you, you know, to take a oh, Nintendo you apart, need this you special need screwdriver. This screwdriver. Oh uh, my gosh! So I, I wow. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure I still have mine. So yeah. very handy thing to have because, uh, like, I used to like with my DS, my Nintendo DS. I replaced the entire case with a Zelda with a Zelda case, and it turned out beautifully. It's actually really nice to to be able to take apart. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it actually says in the description, Triwing screwdriver made specifically for Nintendo Wii. Rare part, hard to find in stores. Yep. You will need this tool if you're going to open up your Wii system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get cracking that shit. And it's only three dollars and eighty cents. Not bad. It. Uh, somebody bought a game, Pokemon Moon, for Nintendo 3DS. Ooh, this just came out. Yeah. This week. Oh, that's right. I saw a commercial for yeah, it. Yeah. They had Pokemon, Sun Pokemon Sun, and Pokemon Moon. I love. I love it. I, yeah, I don't. I don't care cool. for Pokemon Go. I don't mind that people like it. Go ahead. Um, but like these kinds of Pokemon games, I am so on board with. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, just some of the best ever made. Yeah, that's cool. So, would you play this game if you had a chance? I would try it. Oh hell yeah! I'd not play really it. into Pokemon. Yeah, if I had a 3DS, I have. In fact, I have a 3DS. If you go to wishlist.zog.ninja, there's a there's a 3DS there. But anyway, uh, if I had a 3DS, I'd be all over it. Sweet. All right. Well, that's it. What's your favorite thing? I'm gonna have to go with the sex lube, the wet platinum. Oh, this is so tough. That oh, whole yours book in the book section. Yeah. Every single book there looked fantastic. The Babylon Five comic book, I got to give that top marks. But Scooby Apocalypse great series ego in his own yeah Six of course self-esteem yeah definitely of course all right cool so i guess that's gonna do it for us meanwhile um we know you have holiday shopping to do we know we've beat the horse to death but please stuff that sex and science hour.com thank you so much to everybody who already does their shopping there and bookmarks it and um i gotta get those i gotta get those other amazons out i will do that and i gotta make the um Sex and Science Hour Facebook group, too, so Woo. we can all hang out in virtual space together, and I think that would be a ton of fun. Talk oh, my shit. God, a ton of fun. Yes. We'll, talk, we'll talk so much shit. All right, that's my. so those are my goals before the end of the year. Meanwhile, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you're all doing well, and I guess we'll be back at you next week, right? Yeah, see you then. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Sex and Science Hour.